Today's episode of The Big Picture is brought to you by Sunglass Hut. Summer is here. Accessorize your summer wardrobe with great styles from Sunglass Hut and Macy's. From now until July 8th, get 50% off select styles from the Sunglass Hut collection, just in time for your 4th of July celebrations. Be sure to check in for all the latest looks and great deals, and remember Sunglass Hut and Macy's is your destination for summer style. It's good because I don't feel that you need a more a compass. I mean, in telling a story. I want to sit in a movie theater. I don't want to be, to have a director or a writer that bring my hands and explain to me what I have to feel. I'm Sean Fennessy, editor-in-chief of The Ringer, and this is The Big Picture, a conversation show with some of the most interesting filmmakers in the world, and also my colleague and friend, Chris Ryan, a.k.a. The One True Soldado, and we are here today to talk about Sicario Day of the Soldado. Chris, you and I just interviewed Stefano Solima, the director of the new film, but before we talk to him, we're going to talk to you about why Sicario is good. Why is Sicario good, Chris? So do you want to talk about why the franchise is good? Because now it is the most unexpected, possibly the most unexpected franchise we have on our hands in the last five years. I mean, I think listeners of your podcast, The Watch, know that um, you're very emotional and excited about this. The original movie, Denis Villeneuve's uh, 2015 original, what, what did you think when they announced the, the the idea of doing a sequel to that movie? I thought somebody was having a laugh. I thought somebody was playing a practical joke on me. Um, that being said, when you watch Sicario, the original Sicario film, the characters of Matt and Alejandro, the Josh Brolin and Benicio Del Toro characters, they're used as these mysterious figures that are half obscured narratively, half obscured by shadow. You don't quite know uh, anything about the Josh Brolin character, Matt, this Department of Defense contractor. Yeah. And then Alejandro, you really only get the broad outlines of a of a revenge story. This is, this is he was a lawyer in Mexico. His family was killed by a cartel. Ever since then he has been on a mission to destroy them uh, by any means necessary. That worked very well for that film because you didn't it, it didn't require a lot of explanation. It was so focused on Emily Blunt's Kate character and her path. This film makes a very good case for for foregrounding those characters because it shows a kind of depth of the world, if not a depth of feeling. And I think that that's ultimately going to be the thing that uh, turns people on or off to this film. Yeah, we talked to Stefano about that a little bit and what the absence of an Emily Blunt character means for a story like this. Did, did you remember walking out of the first film and thinking, like, I want to know where Matt Graver's going next? No, but what here's the thing that's important to remember is that they could not have gone back and done the same movie again because the part of Sicario's appeal was it's sort of out of nowhereness. I don't think that there was a lot of clamoring for a movie like that, and it's first weekend box office suggested that people were right. It was a rare slow burn. I think it wound up making 85 domestically, but really lived on as a movie that, you know, Obviously, we talked about it on our podcast a lot. You'd see memes of it. People obviously were watching this movie over and over again. It is a dark, a darkly rewatchable film. So it had that long tail. And I think that it just happened to correspond with the ascendance of Josh Brolin and Benicio Del Toro having these late career renaissances that made it a really viable thing to do. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Villeneuve was at an inflection point in his career. I think he had made on Sunday, he had made Enemy, he had made a lot of well-liked art movies, but wasn't yet the director of Arrival and Blade Runner 2049. And he used it as kind of a springboard, mm-hmm. I'd say. 
Stefano is somebody who I was really not familiar with before this was announced. You were, though, because you were a big fan of the TV series Gamora, yeah. which he was essentially the uh, the lensman for the whole show. I mean, what did you know about uh, Soloma going into this? I, he seemed particularly, when, when he was announced as the director of Soldado, I immediately took my interest out of a sort of, oh, this is going to be hilarious to see them try to make a sequel to Sicario to, oh, they're not playing around. They went out and got a filmmaker who uh, is very well versed in being up close and personal with the criminal underworld. Now, as you can hear me talking about this, I, I feel my heart racing. I feel like my voice modulating and getting excited. And I think that this is going to be the main, and it has already with the reviews, but I, I, what I really want to talk about with you is how your reaction to Day of the Soldado, what it says about you, you know, as a person <laughs> and as a moviegoer. Because Soloma definitely tapped into a vein of film going that is unfashionable, I think, today. Yes. And uh, frankly, is not something I'm super comfortable being like, that's a dope movie. Like, I definitely thought Day of Soldado was phenomenal. I thought it was a fantastic movie. But it is a weird movie to put in, like, your Facebook likes. Yes, that's a very interesting way of framing it. I felt similarly. As I was watching the movie, I couldn't help thinking about the discourse about the movie that was coming for it, despite the fact that as filmmaking, and even as storytelling in a lot of ways, I think it's really effective, really well done. Solomon is really talented. And he sharply identifies the fact that he's in the same sort of continuum of Villeneuve without necessarily ripping off or aping or even duplicating any of his stuff. And it's a continuum that I think you and I probably uh, were raised by. Frankenheimer, Walter Hill, John McTiernan, Sam Peckinpah, a very masculine, a very gritty, a very, you know, in love with these sort of violent legends of, of, of the criminal underworld of the American West yeah. that, that they make these films about. White knuckle genre movies, mostly targeting male audiences, honestly, mostly starring men. I mean, that was an interesting differentiator that the original film had, which was completely through that that Emily Blunt purview. And we don't we don't have that here. There is a young woman who stars in this film. She's a daughter of a cartel leader. But unlike Emily Blunt's Kate character is under uh, no illusions about where she is in the world and no. what's going on. And she's as savage as any other character mm-hmm. in the movie, despite going through some pretty traumatic stuff. I, I, I certainly feel fine saying that I liked the movie. I, I do worry, specifically given where we're at as a country and our relationship to the border and the co- conversation on immigration, what people will do and how they'll use this movie to either desecrate it or desecrate some sort of political conversation. I think I it's easy for me to see it in that continuum of stories that you're talking about, that this is has more in common with Point Blank and Convoy than it does what's on CNN tonight. Mm-hmm. And that to me is meaningful, but you know, that's not, that's not necessarily always the state of cultural dialogue in 2018. We can't, we can't always separate those two things. Do you have any, any personal misgivings about putting a line between the two? What I liked about this movie is that it challenged me on my semantics. So it challenged me on the way I would use the words I would use to describe an action set piece, the way I would use to the words I would use to describe the moral compass if there is one of the film itself because I don't think it's sufficient to just say that was exhilarating or horrifying you know and that you might put horrifying is the first 40 minutes of Saving Private Ryan but exhilarating might be uh, a Jason Bourne car chase or something like that or even a Fast and Furious scene that you happen to like or a Die Hard scene you happen to like something that's a little bit more cartoonish and then horrifying is like Black Hawk Down uh, Saving Private Ryan something that's about the it's the horrors of of what happens to people who are engaged in violence. I don't think that that 
is a sufficient way to describe this movie. The action scenes are in the top one percentile of how good you can shoot something like this. I don't know that you walk away. I defy anybody, and I watched the premiere of it last night. Nobody was fist pumping. Nobody was like, yeah, get him. It was, it takes your breath away in a way in which you have to have a real, like, sit down and gather yourself after these set pieces. And the set pieces in this film come one after another after another. It's unrelenting. I just felt myself at a loss of words to describe how I felt about it. And I felt like that in and of itself was an accomplishment. I think that says a lot. I mean, we should probably let Stefano say the rest of it. I, I found it interesting that he was such a charming and nice person, given the grave nature of his film and his TV shows. Uh, anything else you want to note about Sicario before we go? I, I'll be very curious to see how it does commercially, because I would be curious. They certainly set up a third film, and I would be curious to see whether this is, in fact, Taylor Sheridan's Border Trilogy and 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 how that works itself out. And I'm fascinated to see what people think of it, given the state of the Mexican border right now in this country. You might have identified uh, your directorial debut, Chris. Sicario 3, day of the process. Chris Ryan, thanks again, buddy. Let's get right to our conversation with Stefano Solima. Really delighted to be joined by not just my colleague, Chris Ryan, but Stefano Solima. Stefano, thank you for coming in. Congratulations on Sicario Day of the Soldado. How'd you, uh, how'd you get caught up in the world of Sicario? Um, first, I was a, a big fan of the first. I thought that was the best movie I've watched that year. And I'm, I, I, lo- I love this kind of uh, movie, this genre. Of, uh, of movie. And then I was uh, working along with uh, Molly Smith, developing another project uh, written by James E. Roy. James Elroy, the great. Yeah. yeah. It's am- amaz- it was amazing. The you project. really have a type. Yeah. And then <laughs> they, <laughs> a crime type. Yeah. This is uh, what I love to do. Yeah. And then they start, they spoke to me about uh, this idea of the, this saga they had in mind. And then, of course, uh, I was a bit resistant, let's say, in the beginning, because it, I mean, I feel that uh, Sicario is not exactly a film that you expect uh, a sequel from. But uh, they explained to me that the idea was uh, to create uh, a strange kind of um, saga around the same world by using some of the characters. But they asked me to make a standalone movie. And this makes, of course, everything a little bit more complex and more interesting. And then I read the, the script uh, by Taylor Sheridan. It was really amazing. And most of all, was really close to everything I've done. So it was really close to the kind of uh, movie I uh, like to watch and then, of course, I like to do. Did, did you have a sense that this movie was going to happen whether you were a part of it or not? Or did they want specifically for you to do this because of the experience that you had? Because, you know, the TV work that you've done and the film that you've made, like, it really is in, in, in concert with a lot of the stuff that you've done before. Yeah, I think I, they, they were really smart uh, because I, I pitched my version of the movie What's really close, I mean, Sicario, it's a film that I like because it's a kind of movie I can do. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. And then, of course, it's Denis has a completely different style. But let's say that we are exactly in the same world, in the same mood. 
No, with the, every every director has his own uh, specificity, his own uh, we are like uh, fingerprint. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's it's stupid just the idea to try to copy another one. So I think that was a, a smart idea from from the producer to find me. And for me, I was uh, rep by CIA for it's now it's five years, and then they gave gave to me an incredible amount of uh, script to read. I was trying to find a project where, I, because I had to be sure not to lose my specificity and my touch. And then I think that in Soldado is uh, was a, a, a perfect example of a kind of a movie that we don't produce anymore, uh, where you have this uh, really gritty, brutal approach to the storytelling without being too gentle. So I think it was uh, I was more than honored to be part of uh, of it. Do you remember for you when you sort of started to become interested in the underworld? Because a lot of your work before Soldado deals with the criminal underworld in Italy, and uh, and and obviously Soldado takes place in this in this world that most Americans, most people, they know it's there. They don't, but they don't know what, how exactly the things that they're seeing on their television screens, how that happens when they watch the news and the news comes up several times in Soldado. That, that's how people are interfacing with this. But for you growing up, when did you first become interested in the criminal underworld? From the beginning, because I sincerely and truly love a Jenner movie. So, because I, I like to be entertained but at the same time, I think that uh, a movie has to reflect your time and the world that is around you. So I think that it's uh, playing with the gangsters movie, the cops movie, helps you in making um, this, in creating an entertaining movie, but also that are uh, with, um, with some topical issue as the background. And this is what I did from the beginning. I, I think it's a, an interesting way to explore your own society mm-hmm. by doing with something that is not a, a direct take on it, but is translated through an entertaining story. Soldado is more relevant than I assume even you could have imagined right now, given the climate in the world. How much are you and Taylor, when you're starting out making the film, talking about kind of the real world implications of something like that and then also what you're trying to do when you're making a genre movie which and you know there's a difference between those two things you want it to feel accurate but it doesn't have to necessarily be real or maybe vice versa no i think you has to be accurate and real in portraying the world i mean because this is it's like uh, it's the only reason why the audience trust you mm-hmm. because they you need to uh, be really precise and accurate. They they need to feel that what you are talking about. It's not just a movie; it's a movie, so a fictional story, but based on the reality. In order to do this, I normally do an incredible amount of research. What does that look like? You go there and you try to speak with them, to try to live a little bit there, try to understand what's the real life in the border in the, in the case of uh, soldado so i did uh, i did I, i've been there and then i i crossed the border i tried to speak with people border patrol uh, agent and the people that smuggle with the immigrants and also just normal people that lives in this crazy cohabitation 
with this uh, incredible uh, clandestine flux of uh, people. I was curious about what it was like to work with Benicio and Josh on this movie because um, there were two characters people responded to very strongly in the first film. And uh, they've spoken in the press run coming up into Sicario about their involvement in the script and their involvement in working with you and working with Taylor to shape the story. Can you tell us a little bit about the day-to-day experience of working with actors like that, especially two actors who are so hands-on with the script, so hands-on with how they develop their characters? Let's say this. When I, when I jumped up in, in the project and we start talking, was clear they already played the character. So it was like, okay, let's see what we can do together. But since the script is really smart, even though they already know their characters, they are facing in Soldado so many difficulties. They have so many forks in front of them that was really a deeper and interesting exploration. And then, uh, so was, uh, in the beginning was, okay, no, we know who we was in the previous one. Even though in the previous one, you get a sense of the two characters because you always uh, see them, but through the eyes of uh, Emily Blunt. And Emily Blunt was uh, judging them. So it was a sort of uh, moral compass in the story. And then, of course, here, and it's good, we don't have any. Why is it good? It's good because I don't feel that you need a moral compass. I mean, in telling a story, the audience is much smarter I, than I this. I mean, I don't want, I want to I wanna sit in a movie theater. I don't want to be, to have a director or a writer that bring my hands and uh, explain to me what I have to feel. It seemed, I'm going to feel it anyway. It feels like a, in some ways, a more honest representation of some of the intensity and uh, like horrible things that happen in these situations to not be put in a situation where we feel like we have somebody who's guiding us the way you say. But was there any concern about a, like a, maybe a lack of empathy going on? Because it, there is just like a lot of terror. And there's a lot, it's very violent. It's very, it is very real. And so if you don't have something to lean on, is it, is it okay for the, like, will audiences feel safe? Do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, I think it, I, this is by experience because I already did it many times at this point. And this is not, is not true because, I mean, of course, you are going to be guided for definition because uh, the director and the writer, we decide what you are going to watch and what you are going to experience. But at the same time, what I'm, I don't want to never to uh, judge a character. This is my personal approach. Mm-hmm. I just... I try to love them all. And then, of course, you are going to have your own idea about, but it's not necessary to impose to you mine. This is uh, the point. So I think that in, in, in Soldado, this was really interesting because you are going to have your own opinion on everything. But even if we, if we I, let's say I had uh, a step back, you still feel something, for example, for, uh, for, example, for uh, Alejandro. Definitely. Because yeah. he has uh, a really moving arch. Do you think it was in- helpful to be not American and not Mexican and to approach this story? Do you think there was a benefit to that? Probably, yes. You are less uh, 
worried of the consequences of what you are doing. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, a bit. And I don't think it's a coincidence that uh, Denis is not uh, American. So, I mean, it's, of course, it's, you, you that way probably you have a, a, a sort of um, detached point of view that uh, helps you in telling a story, honestly. Yeah, that was, that's definitely how I feel. There's two incredible set pieces at the beginning of the movie, one with the, the sort of the coyote and then the other in the, in the you know, in Kansas City in the shopping center. Um, can you talk a little bit about building those scenes and then also you know, the tension that goes into them and then also the kind of horrifying violence that you have baked in there? I mean, those are really effective, powerful, visceral moments. Like as a filmmaker, what do you do to make sure that those scenes work? In the first one, uh, is the, in the border sequence with the helicopter was to try to adopt a sort of uh, neutral point of view, but more from the side of the border patrol. So meaning this is another day, and then we have a, a, a lot of immigrants to try to get in, but suddenly something happened. So the first one was more based on the routine and the surprise at the end. Of course, by knowing what is going on now, so that you have uh, a kamikaze, the second is played on tension. Because you know, you already know something bad is going to happen. And, and so the idea there was to play that the opposite by having, again, a neutral point of view, just to show, like in um, news uh, footage, by uh, shooting it uh, just through a long, long, long tracking shot without never stopping. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, the whole setup of that sequence is amazing. Uh, where the film sort of starts off as a, as a domestic war film, I, I noticed that about midway, midway through when, when uh, Angel shows up, it becomes a little bit of a Western. Uh, and there's a there's a rich tradition of Italian filmmakers and their interaction with the the Western genre. I assume you grew up as a Leone fan. Uh, can you tell me about the thrill it must have been to to make a mini Western inside of Soldado? But I did. You know what? I, while I was uh, shooting in the desert, suddenly I I slightly changed the way I usually shoot. And then I was, I said, why I'm doing this? I mean, the format is the same, the cameras, I mean, it's, it's crazy. And then I understand that was first the, the horizontal line that changed everything in the storytelling. It seems strange, but it's, it's real. I mean, it's changed. And then it's, and then probably also the reminiscence of the Western. So I slightly changed from my style and, and the movie, in, in, a, in a way, change style and becomes a, a bit more Western. Yeah. And then also, I feel, we can do spoiler here. Or sure. Yeah. It's when, when uh, Ben resurrect. I mean, it seems uh, an old 70s uh, Western. Yeah. Where you have this moment of uh, cross... Cru how, how do you say when you crucify 
someone uh, crucifixion crucifixion no. yeah. yeah that in, in the west and they they always uh, at the three quarter of the movie they are completely beat up almost dying and unforgiven was the same yeah mm-hmm. I expected so I think Clint Eastwood to be in that bag uh, yeah. it's right but I discovered while I was uh, shooting and I was a bit confused at the beginning I said why are you shooting that way when you say when you're shooting that way do you mean just sort of what, what's in the frame or the way no, you're approaching it on the it's set it's like that suddenly I Normally, I can also use handheld camera, mm-hmm. uh, and so I try to be always close to the actor, but at the same time, really wide to put them in a, in a context. But in in uh, in Soldado, I start shooting with the camera absolutely steady, doing not not being really close to the actor and giving a lot of space around. I was a bit surprised. I said, why am I shooting that way? And trying to have a long shot without too many cuts. Okay, guys, we're going to take a quick break from our conversation with Stefano. We'll be back right after this from a word from our sponsors. Support for today's show comes from Robite, the iOS and Android app that lets you control your Roku player on Roku TV. Robite does way more than a standard remote control. Just search for Robite, that's R-O-B-Y-T-E, in your app store. There's no setup required. It automatically connects to your TV once it's opened. Another cool thing about Robite is the channel selector. Typing on the TV is a pain. You're constantly having to hunt for the letters. But with Robite, you can save time by quickly jumping to your favorite Roku channels like Netflix or Hulu without having to navigate to them. Or search your movies or TV shows faster using its keyboard entry and voice search. And even adjust your TV's volume. With all these great features and more, Robite is a great companion app to your Roku player or Roku TV. So what are you waiting for? Join the millions of others who already enjoy Robite. Download it today for free. That's R-O-B-Y-T-E, Robite. And now back to our interview with Stefano Solima. You know, you're a relatively new commodity, I think, to most American moviegoers. People are probably interested to know, like, who else do you look up to? You know, Chris mentioned Leon. Like, who were the big filmmakers for you growing up? My father was a director, so I grew up by watching, let's say, one, two movies a day on my life. So, I mean, I I think if you, (laughs) let's say that I have an incredible amount of of, uh, directors, but uh, they change every five minutes, meaning that they are a lot. So I don't feel that I have uh, one that is uh, really my my inspiration mm-hmm. i think that they have uh, a lot of them and then everything that you i mean as a creative guy i mean you everything you watch everything you listen uh, the music the, the art uh, and photo everything is going to be part of your imagination so i think you don't it's um, i don't have just one or two i have a million of them was there anything that you were watching that you asked the people who worked on the film to watch uh, as a reference for Soldado? I never do this. No, okay. I know, and then also I feel really crazy when you go somewhere and pitch your movie by using as a reference other movies. It's strange. It's really... I, I love movies, and it's I feel it's, uh, it's, uh, it's just a, a cheap guidance to something. So I think what we did as a research, I show uh, the production designer, Kevin Cavano and Darius Kowalski, uh, an incredible amount of photo taken from real 
life. And for example, the idea of the hood, because mm-hmm. originally was a written um, duffel bag. Mm-hmm. You know? And then I show them a photo, a real photo, really disturbing, where they used the T-shirt. Pulled over it, the head. Yeah, with the tape on. And then I felt that this was really a scary image. So, I mean, instead of using a, a reference of other movie, uh, I mean, I always go back to the reality. I think it's more interesting. It's uh, then you do you, your process, and and for experience, I feel that sometimes reality it's much more fresh, smart, and unpredictable than the fiction. Is is making a movie like this fun? Because it's a very grim story, and it's very gripping, but it's very serious. Is it is it actually fun to do to do a movie like this? Yeah, this depends on uh, the environment you cre- create around you. So what do you what do you do? What is what are your sets? Like? I first, I mean, I'm I asked uh, the producer to replace all the crew from the previous because I didn't want to have a. Uh, Someone on set to say, "Oh, we did this, so why don't oh, we?" Yeah. Oh, Denis does it like this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> says, it's okay. Let's let's um, start from the beginning. We want to do a standalone movie. Let's do it. I did a lot of interview with uh, super talented people from the crew, and then I choose the more nice, of course, talented. But also more as human being, nice. Interesting. Yeah, because it's so no tough it's, bastards. Yeah, the because the, no, because the movie it's it's a too complex uh, process to not to be in a nice warm environment because it's gonna be a long journey and then you want to have uh, nice people around you and so I think that the environment in Soldado was pretty nice. That's good. That's kind of ironic. Yeah. What was the most challenging part of doing this? Was there a particularly difficult scene or sequence or no, anything a lot. design? A lot. Yeah. A lot of uh, different because the, the convoy sequence was uh, a monster uh, sequence to the shoot. The Humvee one or the Mexico City yeah, one? Yeah, the Humvee. Okay. Because of course, since I don't like action for action, seems strange, but it's true. I mean, I don't like where when you watch a movie where it's just boom, 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 everything explodes. It's a car chase, yeah. I like when uh, the action gives you an information uh, on characters. So I always try to put uh, my characters in the center of the action. And the, the convoy sequence was super complex because uh, uh, as it was written, it was uh, a, a huge convoy. Uh, attacked by the people and then with a lot of characters involved uh, and a lot of moving parts. I mean, I decided to choose just one point of view mm-hmm. that, of course, it's a bit risky because in, in while you're shooting a, a complex action sequence for real, so practically, without uh, visual effects, of course, you, you want to be covered in, uh, in the editing room, you want to have several shots of everything, no? Uh, by adopting the point of view of uh, Isabella, by being with Isabella during this crazy shootout, of course, you limited a lot your option. And so we built along with uh, Darius Wolski a, a strange kind of, um, because was, we were inside the MV, but being able 
to turn the camera mm-hmm. almost 300 degrees. Inside the Humvee. Inside the degrees. Yeah. And so we... Darius is your DP. Yeah. yeah. Darius Wolski. And then we, uh, and this was really complex because you have to synchronize the camera, the, the actor inside, and an incredible shootout outside where you have big explosion, people falling down. I mean, it was, uh, was complex. And then, of course, it's something that you, uh, you, you are not covered, meaning that this is, yeah, it's a one shot. You have to do it one. So we did an incredible amount of rehearsal. But then it's really cool. How many takes? Uh, I don't know. A few. Yeah. Uh, one, two. Because when it's like this, you have to do, I don't know, 20, 25 rehearsal. And then when you shoot, it's just one or two. Gotta get it right. How much much do you and Taylor collaborate when you're making the movie? Because, you know, Taylor's had a lot of success as a screenwriter the last few years. He's become a little bit of a brand name. Are you guys talking while you're making the film a lot? A lot. We... I, I think I read the, the the first draft, and then we get to the seven mm-hmm. or eight together, and then mostly. I mean, what we did together was uh, to trim a little bit because before was uh, really spread out much more than it is now because it was a lot of other. Uh, small stories and the, the story of the little guy was expanded and then was a different ending. So we worked together and then we trimmed a little bit in order to keep the soul, but by uh, reducing the material. And then what I asked him, uh, and this was my first pitch, is that why don't we put them one against the other? Because in the beginning of uh, in the first draft was uh, um, they were together, and then at the end, uh, Matt is flying to save him, and I introduced this that I, I think that was more interesting and it gives more opportunity to explore and to go deeper in the um, exploration of the two character. So to putting them one against the other, so to have the the call. What, the what, phone call where he says, "No, I cannot do it." Right. What did you uh, What did you make of working on an American production? Was it different at all than what you'd done in the past? Not really. This is my second foreign language uh, project mm-hmm. because the first one is Comorra. This one was uh, in Napolitan, so was more, totally different. More, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, but was more or less the same. I mean, it's a different world where they speak a different language. So, no, I don't think it was a um, big transition. As I told you, it's, uh, but the only thing I was worried was to, since I know that here it's much more complex to get uh, a movie financed, so you have a lot of people involved, I was just worried to lose my, my soul in the transition. This is something that uh, I was really worried is that, what, is that why you waited as long as you did to make an American production? Because you were just concerned about the right situation? Absolutely. And you're going to do more this now? Is absolute, no, this is exactly what I'm going to do from here on. Just all Sicario to be curved, no, <laughs> to be, no, no, I'm, I don't think I'm, I will never do a third one. I think it's, uh, it's too beautiful the idea and too smart the idea of uh, creating a saga where you have... Uh, Completely different, but still in the same area. Directors, filmmakers, yeah, mm, yeah, 
playing with the with the saga that it's much more interesting to watch this as a movie go goers mm -hmm. I'm, I'm speaking than to watch again uh, myself doing another chapter I already did it uh, what can you tell us about the series that you're working on right now uh, zero zero zero. Yeah, it's based on the um, latest uh, Roberto Saviano book. Uh, Roberto Saviano is the same author of uh, Gomorrah, and but l let's say that uh, zero 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 was an expose, mm -hmm. was um, a journalistic book on um, on drugs trafficking, and then what we did was to create a completely different story, but based on um, on the soul of the book, and the soul is. Uh, it's a sort of um, uh, gritty, compelling take on um, globalization by using uh, one of the most controversial uh, goods, merchandise in the market, that is cocaine. Mm -hmm. So by following um, a single huge shipment of cocaine from Mexico to Italy, it's like we cross all over the world and we see how this economy of the drug trafficking that comes from the drug trafficking is affecting the real economy of the world. At the point where probably the real econ economy will never survive without all the money that comes from the drug trafficking. Fascinating. You prefer television or film? What's your... I mean, I did both, and then I, it's just a different... Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's just different the time that you have uh, at your disposal. I mean, it's... Uh, it's um, I, I like movies when you have the right story that could be told in uh, two hours. And sometimes in TV, um, you can be a little bit more free, especially if you work uh, with uh, with cable or like when zero 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 is gonna be produced by Amazon. Uh, it's produced by Amazon uh, Studio Canal and Sky. So let's say that we have an incredible uh, creativity freedom, um, but I love both. And then uh, normally I I do one and one, mm -hmm. one and one. Chris, one movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's so? What is so? You did zero zero zero. What would be the next film then? Do you I'm, uh, my next project is uh, to um, take a vacation, <laughs> 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 but uh, I'm uh, developing um, Call of Duty mm -hmm. and the script uh, and uh, Cult. Cultism, it's a Western based on uh, the latest uh, treatment Sergio Leone wrote before dying. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's pretty exciting. It's really cool. That's a huge, it's a huge legacy to have in your hands, too. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of legacy, uh, we end every show by asking filmmakers, what's the last great thing that they've seen? So, Stefano, what's the last great thing that you have seen? Uh, Sicario Day of the Soldado. Oh, yeah, you can't say <laughs> that. You can't. <laughs> Anything the last, else? Uh, yeah, three billboards. What did you um, like about that? Amazing. I like how he write. Yeah, and done, yeah. yeah. And then he, I and also I like the journey he, he 
it pushes character in. I mean, I, it's it, it's really always uh, real and uh, unpredictable. And I loved in uh, in Bruges too. Uh, He's yeah, an amazing yeah, rider. One of our favorites. Stefano, thank you so much for doing this today. Thank you. It. Thank you again so much for listening to this week's episode of The Big Picture. If you'd like to hear more about Sicario, may I direct you to theringer.com, where Shay Serrano and Adam Naiman and a host of others are writing about the movie. Quite a complex movie it is. And then next week, a couple of podcasts for you to keep an eye out for. One, The Rewatchables, a July 4th extravaganza. Me, Chris Ryan, Bill Simmons, the podfather. We're going to need a bigger boat. It's Jaws. Jaws is coming. I don't think Chris or I or Bill have ever been more excited for a podcast, so look out for that. And then after the holiday, um, I'm going to be having a conversation with Peyton Reed, the director of Ant-Man and the Wasp, Marvel's latest entry in their ever-expanding MCU. So please check that out.